grace. It is a joy to be with you and to worship our King with you as we look more and more forward to his coming. So this morning, we are going to be talking about victorious love. Uh, Before we do that, I just want to have a few quick announcements about some upcoming things. First of all, I want to tell you about something that's not coming up, uh, just in case you were wondering. Uh, This has typically been the time of year for the past year or two that we have done a Christmas offering. We've galvanized the body together and given outwardly um, in one unified direction to his kingdom. The elders gathered this um, over the last few weeks and have prayed about that and prayerfully discerned that we're not going to do that this year. This is not because we don't want you to give. <laughs> it, it's just we're not giving in one unified direction fully. We want to ask two things of you, though. This is a season where we remember that God gave for us. And we're still called to give for him. That's how we show that we, we love him. So we want to ask you to follow the Lord's leading in your giving, in your giving sacrificially during the season. So you probably get a lot of the letters that I do in the mail. Uh, a, a lot of places, a lot of organizations doing a lot of great Christ-centered work, and, and they're asking for year-end gifts. And so we, we want you to prayerfully go before the Lord and say, Lord, where would you have us give sacrificially at the end of this year? In this season of giving, where would you have us give? We, we also want you to consider, you know, that's the same is true here at Grace. Um, we, uh, a, a few months back, went through faith promise giving, and we're so grateful for those of you who committed to give over and above. We, we communicated at that time that we were in a, a deficit of budget versus giving, and due to your continued faithfulness, we, that, that deficit hasn't increased, and it's been gradually chipped chipped away at, and there's, there's more work to be done. So I, I want to just encourage you and invite you to consider giving, continuing to give above and beyond your normal giving here at Grace, that his kingdom might expand here. And, and, and then continue following, follow the Lord's leading as far as giving in, in other directions. There's so many good Christ-centered organizations in this season that could benefit from your giving at this time. So go before the Lord in your giving and uh, follow him obediently in that. Uh, a couple of events coming up that I want to mention. Uh, first of all is Blue Christmas. That's coming up um, in not this Monday, but next Monday. And this is our season. Um, this is a service that's specifically designed for those uh, who have a tough time in the Christmas season because it's not always a season of joy and triumph, right? If you've experienced grief or loss during the season, sometimes that feels heightened. And, and so the, our Blue Christmas service is a quiet and intimate service. Uh, designed to just bring that pain and that grief before the Lord and encounter his comfort in it together. So I would encourage you to come out. That's Monday, December 19th at 7 p.m. for that. And then that following Saturday is Christmas Eve. It's less than two weeks away, folks. Christmas Eve service, we're having two services, 4 and 6 p.m. here as usual. There's no grace kids offered, but there's going to be child packets um, for uh, coloring and activity packets to have with your kids. And I would just encourage you to come and invite others in your community and your family to join us that night to celebrate the coming of our king that evening. And then um, the next day is Christmas Day. Um, on that Sunday, we will not be having a service here. I know that comes as a shock to some, but we want to encourage you to, to share that morning with your loved ones, with those at home, and also provide that for those here who are part of services to have that morning to worship together as families in your home. We encourage you to do that. We'll also be providing um, a, a list of some places in the area that might be having Christmas Day services if you would like to attend Um, And then the following Sunday is New Year's Day. We will be having services. We'll be having one service at 10 a.m. So stay tuned and uh, just be aware of that on New Year's Day. When we're all tired from staying up and seeing the ball drop, you don't have to show up at 9. You get to show up at 10 and not be late. So um, I think that is everything I needed to cover as far as things coming up. Now we get to hear uh, why we came here to dive into God's word together and worship him. So uh, just join me uh, as I pray one more time. Lord, we... We are here to worship you, to turn our hearts to you. God, in this season, there is such busyness, there's so much distraction, and it's ironic that in a season that is all about you, that we could get so easily distracted by the things of this world. But really, that's true of our whole lives. Our whole lives are about you, Lord. And we so easily get distracted. So we come this morning 
And we offer to you our time, our attention, our hearts. God, we ask that you would speak to us in any ways that we have taken on the ways and the distractions of this world, the weights of this place that we live in day after day. God, we lay those down this morning and ask you to speak comfort, hope, joy, and this morning, love. God, may your love awaken our hearts once again. Forgive us for the ways and the times we take your love for granted, Lord. And we ask that you would invade our hearts with the truth of your love this morning. Have your way in us, Jesus. That we might more greatly understand your love for us. And that we might love you more greatly in return. We do love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, this morning, we have already gone through two weeks of Advent. We've, gone th we've talked about victorious hope. We've talked about victorious joy. And this morning, we are talking about victorious love. Even though it says hope on the screen, it's supposed to say victorious love. So just go with me there. And I know victorious love doesn't sound like that great of a title. It actually sounds like a bad Hallmark movie, doesn't it? <laughs> or one of those cheap romance uh, novels. I, somebody said they're all bad, but yeah. Well, I'm going to leave that up to you guys. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen one, so I'll leave that to all of you that have seen the Hallmark movies. And that's kind of a problem, though. We hear victorious love, and we associate it with uh, romance novels and bad romance movies. And victorious love doesn't actually feel very victorious because of the images that come to mind. And this can be true even if it's good images that come to mind, right? So from watching all those romance movies... I, I, I would venture to say if we could narrow down our idea of victorious love, like if, if some image came to mind that maybe was common for all of us, even those out in the world, it, it might be this, it might be our wedding day, right? It might be like if, if there was a day, if there was an image to capture what it looks like when love is victorious, isn't it when, two, when, it, when a man and woman just meet at the altar, right, and after you've watched the whole movie and the ups and downs of their dating relationship, the pitfalls and the guy being a jerk and messing up and the girl forgiving him, and now they finally did it, they're at the altar, and they pledge their lives to be together, and the music swells, and what comes next? The credits. The credits roll, and I guess they just live happily ever after, right? And, and, and this idea of, uh, of love pervades our minds and our hearts, too. In some ways, I can remember being on the plane on the way home from my honeymoon, and I, I just had, we, my wife and I had an incredible dating experience, and, and the lead-up to the wedding was so just, just beautiful, and this time of celebration, and the honeymoon was great. It was time uh, away, and we're on the plane home, and I'm just thinking to myself, and I, I didn't tell my wife this at the time, which was probably wise, but I'm just thinking, well, what's next? Like, this is it. We, we made it to the altar. I know her so well. Like, there's, there's nobody told me what's next, really. I didn't know, and, and, and now looking back 15 years later, man, if only I had known, there was so much more to come. I didn't know this woman half as well as I thought I did. I, I didn't know the, the unexpected things, the messes, the tough days that were ahead, right? None of us know when we get married. I also didn't know the, the, the beautiful days, the joy-filled days. I didn't actually know what love looked like when it was victorious, but do you know what I found out in the past 15 years is that love, victorious love, is not the love that we see on the wedding day when we pledge our lives to be together. You know what victorious love is? It's the love that gets lived out. When we live out those vows that we made, Day after day after day. Because we dress in our best, right? And we get to the altar and we pledge to be with each other. For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer. And, and that's great and that's lovely, but that's not actually when we need love to be victorious. Do you know when we need love to be victorious? When we're not dressed our best? When we're actually going through our worst? When, when we're actually experiencing poverty in ways we didn't expect? When we're actually experiencing sickness? 
See, that, that's, those days, that's when we need love to be victorious. And that's, I think, what we're going to see this morning because that's how our God, listen to me, that's how our God loves us. Not when we look our best, but when we're going through our worst. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew, uh, yeah, it's supposed to say victorious love in Matthew 1. So <laughs> we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today. Hopefully, the, oh, see, um, so Jesse, as I'm reading the passage um, if you could get my slides from this week up there, that would be awesome. Um, and I'll just, I'll just keep going. So we're in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, it's uh, starting in verse 18. And it's going to say this. Um, so Matthew 1 verse 18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Listen, all of this, everything I read so far, Matthew tells us all of this took place to fulfill this word that was given to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So, this is excellent. This is the right PowerPoint. All right. So Matthew chapter 1, here's what we're told about how the birth of Jesus Christ happened, right? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Cue the music, right? It swells, they're engaged, they've made it through the ups and downs, and now they're going to go to the altar. When it says they're pledged to be married, what it means is that we don't, we don't have this custom now, but what the, the custom they had back then was the engagement period was about a year. And, and they would say vows to each other and pledge that they were going to be married, and then they would wait a year of engagement. Some of us would not have done well with that, Amen. Like, now that I, now I know that this is the gal, this is the guy I'm going to be with the rest of my life. Let's get her done. But, but they waited for this year. And so they're in this period of waiting for the year. When, when they're pledged to be married, they've promised, they've made their vows to be married. And all that's left is the altar, right? Victorious love. But, but, it says, before they came together, before they actually got to the altar, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy, through the Holy Spirit. So there's good news and bad news here. The good news is the Holy Spirit has done this. The God of all creation, who, as far as the Jews are concerned, has been silent for 400 years. The God is moving. And he's working a miracle that has never been done before and will never be done after this. The birth, a, a birth happening to a virgin mother. A, a woman becoming pregnant purely by the power of the Holy Spirit in her. This is good news. Now here's the bad news. It doesn't look like that to anybody else. It looks like she betrayed Joseph. Looks like to her parents, and to Joseph, and to everybody else who knows her, and everybody else who's going to know her, that she betrayed Joseph. She slept around. It doesn't actually look like she's the favored one of God that the angel called her. It's looked like she's a woman who turned her back on God and everything else. So, so here's 
the bad news. Here's, here's the good news, though. Joseph is a good man, right? So we see, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was faithful to the law. That's good. Good man. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So you know what he could have done? He could have called her out for being a prostitute, for betraying him, for sleeping around, and she would have been stoned to death. But he didn't want that. Isn't he a good man? So here's what this good man had in mind. He just had in mind to just divorce her quietly. I, I, I don't want to shame her publicly. I just, I'm just going to quietly walk away. And it, and it makes sense, right? I mean, we look at that and we say, like, it, to him, it looks like Mary slept around on him. Mary betrayed him. So, of course, like, it just makes sense. Joseph, you're a good man for not shaming her publicly. So you're just going to walk away. But, but, like, stop for a minute. Like, let's set aside our, our ideas of what makes sense about love. Could, couldn't she ask for more? Like, this is... This is the worst day. This is when the love actually needs to be victorious. And Joseph is just going to quietly walk away. See, it, this is what the vows are for. What happened to for better or worse? This is worse. And if love's going to be victorious, this is where love actually gets lived out. It's actually needed on the very, very worst days. Because here, here's this lie we believe about love. We believe that love works best when there's no mess. We were talking about this as pastors, and this is like, as we wrestled with this, this is the wording that was thankfully deposited by, by Jeff and Mark as we talked about this. We think love works best when there's no mess, when we're dressed our best, and when everything's going right, and everybody's behaving really well. You know what, folks? That's when it's really easy to love. And it's really easy to be with each other. That's not when love is victorious. Love is victorious when we're at our worst. And that's when it's actually needed. Here's the good news. God has a love like that. And if we're going to be victorious in our love for each other like that, in a marriage or anywhere else in a relationship, it has to start with him. You know what the good news is? It does. It does. We're going to see that this morning. I, to, to, to begin to see this, we're going to pick up with Joseph again in a minute here. But I want to rewind actually all the way back, hundreds and hundreds of years before this, to when this promise was made. Remember, I, I read through Matthew 1, and all of this happened to fulfill what? This promise that was made to the prophet, that this will be a sign. The, the virgin will conceive, and, a baby sh and she'll have a baby. And the baby's going to be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And I want to rewind hundreds of years to the, to the day that that promise was made. Because surely the, the day the promise was made was like a wedding day, right? It's got to be like everybody was on their best behavior, right? No, that's not actually what's true. So I'm not going to read through the whole thing. I encourage you to do this at home. Go home and read through Isaiah chapter 7. But, but here's what you're going to find. When you read through Isaiah chapter 7, it's starting at, at the very beginning of this chapter, it, it says this. This is the scene for when this promise is going to be given by God. It says Ahaz was king of Judah, which doesn't mean anything to you, doesn't mean anything to me, but it meant a lot to the people of Israel. At, at this time in the nation's history, there was a, the kingdom was split. There was a northern kingdom. There was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had a bunch of bad kings. The southern kingdom, which was called Judah, was actually had a lot of good kings. And this comes at a time when Ahaz was king of Judah. Here's the one problem. He wasn't one of the good ones. In fact, if you read in 2 Chronicles where it tells us about who Ahaz was, it says he was one of the worst kings, probably the worst that Judah ever had. Here's how bad he was. He didn't encourage, as king, as leader of his people, he didn't encourage people to follow the one true God. You know what he did? He encouraged them to build a bunch of idols out of wood and metal and put them in high places and go worship them. Go worship however you want to. Go worship whoever you want to. He led the people in idolatry, everybody. And, and not just that. You know what he led the people to do? Here, here's how they worshiped. You know how they worshiped when he was king? He encouraged to worship by, by human sacrifice. You know what it says Ahaz did? It says he took some of his own sons and he burned them in the fire 
to worship a false god. And this is the guy who's king. Talk about a bad day. And, and here's what it says about Ahaz. You know what? The day's just going to get worse. Not only is this guy a jerk, not only is he guilty of horrific evil, you know what it says then? It says they find out that two kings have united against him, and they're coming to attack Judah. They're coming to attack, and here's what it says. It says they find out that these kings have allied, and it says, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And so, you know what? They hear this enemy's coming, going to attack, is mightier than they are, and it doesn't matter that they're God's people. They just give way to fear. They just shake like trees in the wind. So we've got an idolater who's given to fear, and Now's his chance, though. Like, the enemy's coming, right? And things get bad. He's in the foxhole, right? And what do we do when we are in the foxhole? We pray. And you can look back at the nation of the history of Israel, and, and that's what kings do. Like, when they get attacked, they all of a sudden wake up and turn back to God. And so, praise God, like, this is Ahaz's chance, right, to do this. You know, he doesn't chase after God. He doesn't get the people to all repent. Actually, God has to chase after him. And God does. He sends Isaiah the prophet to chase after him. And you know where he finds him? He finds him at the water supply. What's Ahaz doing at the water supply? Whether well, there's kings coming against him, he's going to check how his supplies are. See, like, he, he has the living God to rely on. And do you know what he's relying on? How much he has stocked in the bank. He's relying on himself. Relying on what they have, not on the power of the Almighty God. And so here it comes. Isaiah says to him, though, Isaiah the prophet comes on behalf of God and says this. You know what, Ahaz, in spite of all of this, you know what's going to happen? These kings have allied against you. They're planning to take over your throne. Not going to happen. They're going to be defeated. That's the end of the story. Guaranteed. Isn't that great? And and, and then here's, here's what God says. He says, in, this is Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 10, he comes, and he, after he says, this is guaranteed, nobody's going to defeat you. I'm going to take care of you. And, and this is what God says. The Lord spoke to Ahaz. This is through Isaiah. He says, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. This is really good. He says, this is guaranteed you're going to be rescued. I don't know what you're facing today, but do you want guaranteed results do you want to guarantee that God is going to get you out of this mess, whatever it is you're facing? Like, what if God came to you and said, I guarantee, just ask for anything and I'll do it to show you how faithful I am, to show you how good I am, to show you how much I love you. Ask for anything and I'll do it. And this is what God is saying to Ahaz. He says, he says Ahaz, I know you haven't trusted me until today. Like, listen, I dare you, trust me. Dare you? Tell me whatever it is you want me to do. I'm going to do it just to show you how good and faithful and trustworthy I am. I'll do it. And after all this, do you know what Ahaz says? But Ahaz says, I will not ask. Nah, not going to do it. I, I, I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh, that sounds so good, doesn't it? He, do you know he's actually quoting scripture? Deuteronomy, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan's going to tempt Jesus hundreds of years after this. And you know what Jesus is going to respond to Satan? The Bible says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So it sounds like Ahaz is, man, what a great guy, right? But let's remember who's talking. This isn't some Bible scholar. This isn't some guy who's going after Jesus with all his heart, going after God with all his heart, trying to follow the law. This is a guy who burned his own kids in the fire to an idol. This is the guy who is relying on no, nothing and no one but himself and false gods. And so he, he's not saying this because he wants to follow God. God just told him, test me. I dare you. Trust me. And you know what Ahaz says? No. Listen, I wonder what areas in, in your life, what areas in my life is God saying, I dare you. Lean on me in this. You can trust me no matter what it looks like. I dare you to trust me. And we're saying, no, I'm just going to stick with fear. I'm just going to stick with trying to get my needs met my own way. I'm not going to trust you in this, Lord. And God says, I dare you, trust me. And Ahaz, in his arrogance, says, no. 
Because if he said yes, and if God actually came through, he'd have to repent and turn back to the living God. And what would that mean to who he sacrificed his kids to? What would that mean about who he was? So he says no. And then Isaiah, I love this, Isaiah says, Hear now, you house of David. All right, king. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Isaiah says, I'm getting pretty ticked off. I'm about done with you. And, and if it was just me, I'm nobody. That's not, that's not a big deal. I, I'm, I'm just speaking on behalf of God. Here's the, here's the real problem he has. You're trying God's patience. And I wonder if God's going to run out of patience. Do you know what Isaiah's going to say to him? Fine, you're not going to ask a sign. You're not going to ask for one. I'm going to offer one. God's going to give you one anyway. No more asking. No more bartering. I'm going to give you a sign. And what's the sign, what is the sign going to be, do you think? Like, like in the face of all of this, what's God going to do? Is he going to wipe out all of the enemies coming against Israel to show how powerful he is? How faithful he is? Is he going to maybe send fire down from heaven against Ahaz's arrogance and against his pride? Is he going to maybe burn up all the idols in the land to show that he is the one God above all other gods? Whatever sign is coming, it's got to be big. And it is. It's actually bigger than all those things. Isaiah, now, now, before we get there, <laughs> here's the thing. Like, like this is Isaiah's, Ahaz's mess, right? This is the king that God is talking to. We just heard about his idolatry, his fear, his self-reliance, his disobedience, his arrogance, his compromise. You know what he's going to do after this, after God asked him to trust him? He's going to go make a, make a deal with a foreign king. He's still not going to trust God even after this. Well, so after all this, what's God going to do? Of course he's going to walk away. Of course he's going to turn his back on him. Here's the thing, though. Our mess doesn't separate us from God's mercy. And so Isaiah looks at Ahaz straight in the face and says, listen, here's the sign. You're not going to ask for one. God's going to give you one. Here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. God is with you. He says, Ahaz, here's the thing. In spite of your list, in spite of everything that would get between you and God, God is not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to walk away. God is with you. God is with you. And here's the thing. Our mess doesn't separate us from God's mercy. We think it does. Because Ahaz had this list, right? All these reasons that it was his worst day, that God should just walk away, just, just like Joseph, right? It just makes sense. God would back quietly away and just separate himself from us quietly. And, and here's the thing. We think that's what God's going to do because that's, that's the love that makes sense to us, right? That's the love that makes sense to us. And, and some of us, I think, have this list going on in our heads. When we're asked if God really loves us, we have this list of all the reasons that he probably doesn't. Brendan Manning was well known for preaching messages on this and asking, like, do you actually believe that God loves you? What would you say if I asked you that this morning? Do, do you actually believe that God loves you? I, I mean, all of us, most of us would say, oh, yeah, sure. Like, we're here, right? Of course God loves us. Of course God loves me. I've heard this all, the, all, all, all my life. I've heard this, that God loves me. Of course I believe it. Sure he does. can quote scripture left and right on it. But do we actually believe that God loves us? Look, look at our lives and and how many of us live our lives in anxiety? How many live our lives looking at how, what we're doing in our lives? Look at your last week, your last month. How many of you are ashamed of some of the actions you took, some of the words you spoke? And if I actually asked you this morning, does God really love you? Your mind might go back to that list. Maybe putting something else ahead of him. Maybe lying, maybe cheating, maybe seeking your own desires instead of everybody else's desires. You know, you should love people well. You should love people selflessly. We're talking about victorious love this morning, right? So I should put others ahead of myself. And I can look back and I can think of times in the last week, in the last month, and they just keep piling up where I've put me ahead of anybody else in my life. 
And if you ask, actually asked me some days, does God love you? I would say, well, honestly, I'm not sure that he does. See, because I've got this list. I've got this pile of stuff. This, this mess that I, and, and I, I know because he loves me so much, I should live for him in a certain way. And I keep falling on my face. I keep not being able to do it. And there's this pile of messes I've left in the past. And, and I don't know about you, but I imagine that pile of messes. And there's God over there, right? There's God pursuing me and trying to get to me. And between me and him is this pile, this mess. Does he love me? Well, frankly, like if I could get this out of my way, sure, maybe he would. But do you know all of that doesn't separate us from God's love? Like his love that he promised you wasn't promised when you looked really good. His love wasn't promised you because he thought you would be a really faithful disciple. His love wasn't promised to you and given to you because he thought you could do a lot of great work for him. Now some of that's true. He's, he's prepared good works for you to do. But that, that's not why he offers you his love. He, he loves you because he loves you. He, listen, he knows your whole life story. He knows everything you've ever done. That, that list that you have of everything that gets in the way of God loving you, of all the reasons that he would just really honestly shake his head at you, he's probably kind of disappointed and is wondering why you and I cannot get our acts together. Do you know he's not doing that? He loves you in the midst of that. So that's why the love's victorious. is not because it's promised on our best day, but because it's promised on our worst. And, and he's looking at us just like he looked at Ahaz and saying, listen, do you believe that I love you? Just like he said to Ahaz, I dare you, trust me. Do you trust that God loves you? That you didn't have to show up today to get on his good side, to make up for something earlier this week. So that he would actually listen to you. His ear is already bent towards you. His heart is already for you. And do you know what you have to do so that he thinks well of you, so that he loves you? You have to do absolutely nothing. He loves you unconditionally, not based on your worthiness, not based on your goodness, not even based on your desire to love him back, your imperfect He just, he loves you. He loves you. Here's, here's what Brennan Manning would say. He loves you as you are, not as you should be. Do you believe that? Do, do you believe God doesn't love the, the, the perfect version of yourself that you wish would happen, that you thought you would be at by now when you came to Christ 20 years ago? He, he doesn't love that version of you that you've never lived up to. He, he loves you as you are right now. You're like, I've heard this before. Listen, if your heart is not in awe of his love, you need to hear it again. Wake up. He loves you right now, just as you are. And here's the thing. Do you know what he promised? Because he loves you this much, you know what he promised? Here's what he promised. It's the same promise he gave to Ahaz and all those people back there who couldn't live up to what they should have been in him. He promised. He said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Here's the greatest promise God ever promised, his presence. God with us. See, we come to God and we think what we really want is we want rescued. You know what you really want? You want him. You know the good news? You've got him. Doesn't matter what you did, doesn't matter what your life looks like, doesn't matter what thoughts are running through your head right now, doesn't matter what temptation you fell down at yesterday, you've got them. He, he promised to be with you, and all you need to do is just turn. Just turn back to him again and again, and again, no matter what happened a minute ago. No matter what happened right now, that you can't keep your mind focused on the living word of God, but you're thinking about what is it, what's happening later today. He loves you even in that. He loves you, and he promised to be with you. And we think what we need most from God is rescue. We think we need most is, what we need most is we need cleaned up. What we need most is his presence with us. And he promised us 
And he gave it. Like this is the, from, the, from the garden, this is what he promised. He promised to be with Adam and Eve. This is what they were created for, his very near presence. And this is what Richard Foster says, Scripture shouts from beginning to end. God is shouting to us, I am with you. Now will you be with me? I'm with you. Will you be with me? See, this is, this is what we need. We need his presence. So, so we talked about victorious love, right, in, in, in our marriages, right? And, and when we promise on that day, when we show up at the altar with our future spouse and we pledge to be our, pledge our lives to each other, ultimately this is what we're pledging to each other, just to be with you in everything. This is, when, I, when my wife and I went to the altar, yeah, there were, were a lot of flowery words, but boil it down to one thing that I was promised, I promised to stick with you through thick and thin. No matter what, on your very worst days, this is the promise. And, it, and we've lost this when we look at marriage sometimes. We've lost this because we're so used to divorce. We're so used to people bowing out. We're so used to people, just like Joseph was tempted to do, backing away quietly. Just stepping out saying, this, is, this day's too bad. I'm, I'm going to step out. I want, I want to be careful here because some of you in this room have been through divorce. Some of you have experienced the betrayal of a spouse. Some of you have experienced abuse, horrific things, and and you've had to walk away. And so so I want you to know, as I I lay this out, I'm not speaking to your specific situation. There's a dialogue we can have there. If you're wondering, like, was this the right choice to make? Like, we can have that conversation, but that's not this conversation. This conversation is about the ideal of what love is because we live in a culture where, where the marriage covenant is... Where, where love is no longer victorious, right? Russell Moore tells the story of uh, watching this clip from a televangelist one time. And the televangelist, he was, he was answering questions from his, from his viewers at home. And they would ask questions about their life and how to live out of the gospel. And, and, and so one of the questions from somebody at home was this man, and he was in a desperate situation. And he, he, w- he was saying, like, Here, here's, here's my dilemma. My wife, she, she has... Uh, She's losing her mental facilities, faculties. She doesn't know who I am anymore. She's going through the latter stages of dementia. And this man was writing to this guy to say, listen, she doesn't know who I am anymore. She did, she, I, I, I walk in the room and I try to care for her. And, and honestly, I, I'm not getting anything out of this. And there's this other woman that I'd love to date. Like, how do, I, how do I go about this? What do I do with the dilemma? And Russell Moore is watching, watching this clip and saying, well, well, praise God he's asking an evangelist because the guy's going to tell him to live out the gospel. And what the evangelist told him was, well, you've got to get a divorce first before you go date the other woman. Otherwise, it's adultery. Our heart should grieve at that. I mean, does your heart grieve at that? I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? The guy goes into his wife every day, and she doesn't even know who she is. Doesn't even know who he is. There's no, there's no connection there. There's no intimacy. There's no sex. There's no, there's no. The husband's needs don't get met, physical, spiritual, emotional. Otherwise, of course, it just makes sense that he would walk away. Just divorce her quietly. It makes sense. That's the problem. When we step up to the altar, nobody tells us this, but those vows aren't for to love each other when it makes sense. It's to love each other when it doesn't. And again, I'm not speaking, like some of you experience betrayal and there's, there's other extenuating circumstances we've got to talk about there. This is a, but, but overall, like here's the thing, we're so used to divorce in our culture that it just makes sense to walk away. And so when we come to God with our list of stuff and the list of reasons that he would walk away, well, of course he's just gonna walk away. And we would never say it out loud, but in our hearts when we come to him, there's always this suspicion, this is going wrong in my life, God, right? Because you're walking away. This stuff finally caught up with me. I finally done it. I finally done that one thing or done with that one thing too many times that you're actually going to back away and leave me alone. 
God says, that's not what I'm in for. I'm not in to love you when it makes sense. I'm in to love you when it doesn't. See, here's the thing. Jesus came for a bride. This is, this is you know why marriage is so important? You know why God, it says God hates divorce? Because marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. These vows that we've talked about and hinted at that we give to each other, where a husband and a wife pledge their love to each other when it doesn't even make sense. Do you know why we do that? Why it's so important? Because it's a picture of how Jesus loves us. It's a picture of the gospel. Because do you know Jesus came for a bride? That's what scripture tells us. He came for you and me. He came, for, he came to make a church his bride. And she didn't recognize him. She didn't know who he was. She couldn't do anything for him. And in fact, she rejected him outright. She nailed him to a cross. And you know, he didn't abandon her. He loved her anyway. He actually died on that cross to bring her back to himself, to make a way to just turn back. To say to her, I dare you to trust that I love you. I dare you to trust it in spite of all this. And, and so Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again and then he went to, went to bring his bride to himself, right? Went to the disciples and you know what they were doing? What they were doing before Jesus found them. They were fishing and they were off doing their own thing. Do you know he didn't, he didn't leave them? He didn't turn his back on him. When he was standing before him as the risen Christ on the Mount of Ascension, you know what it says? It says some doubted. Some of the people standing right in front, would you doubt? I wouldn't doubt then. Some of the people standing right in front doubted. You know what he did to those people who doubted? He said, I promise you I am with you even unto the end of the age. Doubt me all you want. I, I'm And fast forward thousands of years to you and me, and he is still here for his bride. And he sees your inconsistent prayer life, and he sees your discipleship walk, which is not where it's supposed to be, and he sees all the hatred that's in your heart for the people who hate you. He sees the anger that comes out sideways. He sees the lies that you tell. He sees all the ways you try to protect yourself from other people and just can't get your act together. He sees all of it. And he says, I'm with you. And just like he said back to, the, to, to them thousands of years ago, like, here's, here's the sign that I love you. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He's given us a sign. We're going to celebrate this sign today. When you walked in here this morning, you were encouraged to take one of these communion cups. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. And some ushers will be around. Just keep your hands up. Some ushers will be around to offer those communion cups. But as we celebrate this together, here's the thing we got to understand. That, that this is the covenant that Jesus made with us to be with us no matter what. See, when we talk about the love of God like this, we start to get a little shifty in our seats. And we say, well, yeah, you, you can talk about the unconditional love of God, but make sure, it, but, but you gotta be careful because it sounds like, what it sounds like is that you're telling people they could do whatever they wanted and God would still love them. Do you know what? You could go out of here and do whatever you wanted. And God would still love you. God would, period. Like, like he would still be pursuing you. He would still be chasing after you. He, he still would have gone to the cross for you no matter what you would do. He still loves you. See, we get uncomfortable and we shift in our seats and we say, he can't really love us that much. No, he loves you that much. See, here, here's the problem. We get shifty in our seats when we talk about the love. Like, don't, don't talk about God's love like that because you're, you're giving people permission to do whatever they want. Listen to me. You and I and everybody else, we never sinned because we trusted the love of God too much. Let that sink in a minute. We get uncomfortable when we talk about, like, you can't do anything you want and God will still love you. No, yes, you can. Here's the thing, you, you and me, we didn't ever sin because we trusted God's love too much. We always sin because we trusted too little. 
We always sin because we think there's a better deal somewhere else because we think he's holding out on us. He isn't. He loves you and he's with you no matter what. You want proof? You want proof that it doesn't matter what you do today, he's still gonna love you? Jesus, 2,000 years ago, sat with his disciples who would later that night fall asleep when he was sweating blood, who would later that night run and try to save their own skins when he was going to the cross. And he sat with them and he said, let me show you this bread. Let me break it. This is what I'm going to do for you. With all your list and with all your imperfections, this is my body broken for you. Let's take this with an awareness that this was his body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, you know what this is? This is wine of a covenant. See, they used to drink wine when they made their marriage vows to each other. Back in that day, he said, this, this is the wine of a new covenant. It's like a wedding covenant. I'm promising to be with you no matter what, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm holy and you're not. You've got a whole pile of stuff that needs paid for. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pay for it. He said, this is the wine of the new covenant. My blood that was poured out as a ransom for many. Let's take this with an awareness that his blood was poured out for you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you as you broke that bread and as you offered that cup that you weren't promising to be with us because we're great or because we'll shape up or because we'll clean up or because we'll be worthy of your love. You were vowing to love us in the midst of our rebellion and our sin. God, I pray over every heart right now in this room for those of us who are in this moment living in rebellion and sin. Would you awaken us once again to your love? Pour it out for us on the cross. For whatever list, whatever pile we think comes between us and you, Jesus, I thank you that you died to get rid of it. God, I pray that right now as you, that you would meet us in our hearts and as you ask that question, do you believe that I love you? I dare you, trust me, that I love you. God, give us the courage to trust your love. God, I pray over any heart in this place that as they walked in this place this morning, in some way they never would have admitted it to themselves, but were doubting their love, doubting your love for them. Pray that you would reveal that lie, that area, and God, awaken them to your love poured out for them. You died 2,000 years ago to prove it, Jesus. You would have died today to prove it again, but you didn't have to because it was once for all. Once for all of us, once for all of our sin. Jesus, we receive your love in this moment. May it have victory in our hearts today. And all God's people said, amen. So we're almost done. Almost done. We've got to go one other place. Here, here's what happened. When Joseph had considered this right, God comes to him through an angel and says, listen, I'm in this. I'm working in this. Joseph, don't be afraid you don't have to be afraid to love like I love. You can stand by Mary because I'm in this, because she's going to give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill God's promise that he would be with us.
Emmanuel. And then when Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. See, he says, Joseph, you don't have to be afraid. You can trust me because I'm in this. You can trust that I'm here because I promise to be with you no matter what. And, and Joseph, you know what he does? He says, okay. He, he trusts. He actually believes that God is who he said he is, that God is doing what he says he's doing, that God is with him the, say, the way that he said that he is with him. And so do you know what Joseph now does? He turns around and he obeys. And the same love that God showed him, that he didn't walk away quietly from Joseph in his mess, Joseph now gets to show to Mary, listen, I'm not going to walk away quietly. There's, there's going to be people who throw shame on me for doing this. I, I, am, I, I now get to love you the way God loved me. I now get to call worthy what the world calls unworthy. I now get to call acceptable and lovely what the world calls unlovely and unacceptable. And he gets to walk out this love. Do you know what that's getting? We get to do the same thing. When we really get this, Jesus is first Emmanuel to us. God is with you. He then gets to be Emmanuel through us. We get to live out that love for others. We talk about living out love, right? And we think of big moments like Joseph had. Not turning his back on his wife because God's in this. Of loving when it doesn't make sense. Uh, of Jesus going to the cross and these big moments. Where's the big moments in my life to love? Do you know it's the small moments? It's the insignificant moments, insignificant to anybody else, but maybe us, that God invites us to live this out every day. We think, sure, when I get the love of God, I want to live that out. So give me a big way to live that out. You're going to have a thousand ways to live that out today. Do you know that? Do you know how much it matters to you and to me and everybody around you, else around you that somebody is just with them? Like maybe that's the only way you need to love. Maybe, maybe it's as simple as that. Is there somebody in your life you could just be with today. I, I remember a, a few years back, I got to know this husband and wife, and the wife was passing away from, from cancer, and it was a sure thing. She had been slowly dying over months, and I don't know them from anybody. I just got connected to the family somehow, and I just got to show up and be in the room with them, and I, like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Like, I walked in there month after month, getting together with them. I'm like, I, I can't fix this. I can't do anything. How am I supposed to love them in this? And, and, and do you know what? After months of doing this, they would say, thank you, thank you, thank you, every time. And I'm like, thank me for what? I can't, I can't do anything. I've, there's no words to fix this. There's nothing to do. They were just thankful that somebody was with them. And they did it scared, and I did it knowing that I couldn't fix anything, and I did it thinking I was inadequate, and knowing I was inadequate, and I just showed up by the grace of God. And it was uncomfortable. Every single time it was uncomfortable. But somehow, by the grace of God, they experienced love in that. Just by somebody being with them. Who, who in your life just needs somebody to be with them when it doesn't make sense? When it doesn't make sense. We think of these big ways to live out love. Do you know, do you know what scripture tells us love is? We all know this verse. We hear it every wedding. We go to love is patient, love is kind. How hard is that? But how simple is that? There is somebody who is going to try your patience today. And you know what would make sense is for you to lose your patience. So what does love look like then? Just, just choose patience. That's it. Just choose patience. Do you, know, do you know there are thousands of people around us right now, some of the people around us in this very room who are going to walk out of here and going to fall down flat on our faces because we're going to choose to be mean because it is so easy to choose to be mean to other people. And do you know what love is? Love is just choose kind. Just be kind. 
You want to show the heart of God? Are you astounded at the love that Christ had for you? You know how you can show it? Just be kind. When it doesn't make sense to be kind. When that cashier's a jerk, when the manager doesn't give you your way, when, it, when somebody treats you wrong, when somebody honks at you, and you had the right of it, just, just be kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud. There are people all over who are just trying to prove that they're worth something. Do you know you don't have to prove that you're worth something? Jesus already did that. You get to go out and not envy and not be prideful and not boast. You get to go out and don't, not dishonor others. Not try to steal their honor. You, do, you get to go out and not try to self-protect and seek what's best for yourself because Jesus already accomplished what was best for you. It's done. And, and you just get to go out and not seek for yourself. It's not easily angered. Everybody is so easily angered today. Everybody so easily chooses to be offended. You just get to walk out of here and choose, just choose not to be offended. You're going to be a jerk. Uh, that's, that's, that's okay. You know what? God bless. I, I, I'm going to choose not to be uh, offended. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Man, somebody wrongs us and we so badly want things to go bad for them. You know, the truth is that the, Knock your socks off truth is that as much as I told you that God loves you, he loves everybody else that way too. You get to go out and rejoice in that truth and treat them like they're loved. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails even when it makes sense to walk away. Even when it makes sense that it would fail. Love doesn't. This is what you get to do. A thousand times a day, you're going to have the opportunity to walk out and be Emmanuel to someone else to show them that, you know what? God is with you, and in this, I am too. Well, we do it. We, we've, we've taken up this lie that love is this feeling. That, I, that I'm going to love other people and I'm going to love my spouse when it feels good to love them. And we're so happy, and that's why the credits roll at, right after the wedding, right? Because you're always going to be in love like that. No, you don't always feel in love like that. But love is the choice that, ha that happens even when you don't feel like that. It's a choice that you make day after day after day after day. What choice is God putting before you today? to receive his love, to know that he is with you, and to show that love to others. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your astounding love for us. Jesus, you promised to be with us. You demonstrated your love for us, not when we were dressed our best, not when we had it together, when we were a mess. When from the eyes of anybody else and even ourselves, we were completely unlovable. Jesus, you chose love. Thank you. Thank you for your love for us. God, I ask that you would renew our understanding of your love. God, I ask that you would give us the courage to just trust that you actually love us like you say you love us. And if I could just trust that, God, I would walk out of here changed. Even from the way I was before, before this service started, I would walk out of here completely different. God, I thank you for your love demonstrated for us in the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for this blood. That's the only way that we were saved. It's the only proof that we need to point to that you love us was this blood. God, from the moment you awaken my heart to it, I can say I'm different than I was before. You have begun a work of changing me, but you aren't done yet. 
You aren't done yet in any of us. So God, I just pray this morning that we would walk out allowing your love to continue to change us. Teach us how to be with each other, even on our worst days, the same way you are with us. And God, we will praise you for it. We will love you on this earth all the way into heaven. We receive your love this morning, and we thank you for it, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Grace family, would you stand to your feet and let's worship him one more time.